get the most out of your career as a physician, you need an employment contract that supports you. Unfortunately, most contracts do not initially include everything you need to be successful. Employers draft contracts with their best interests in mind, but the terms that benefit your employer are rarely as valuable to you. Before signing an employment contract, you should always make sure your salary, bonuses, paid time off, and other terms are fair. Resolve is the one and only place you can get live salary data so you know exactly what's happening in your specialty at all times. The best part is the data is verified from real physician contracts. With access to data on what physicians like you are earning, you know when you are being underpaid and can confidently ask for what you deserve. In addition to providing data, they are the number one firm specializing in physician employment contracts. They work with every specialty nationwide. At Resolve, you get connected with an experienced attorney who will work with you one-on-one to ensure you sign with confidence. Your attorney will take your priorities into account, address your concerns, make suggestions, and help you strategize for any negotiations. They can even negotiate with an employer on your behalf. So whether you are a seasoned attending or just finishing training, Resolve is here to support you every step of the way. Visit resolve.com to learn more and discover how to sign your ideal employment contract. Resolve, your trusted partner for physician contract review negotiations and salary data. What's up, guys? Hope you're having a great day. I was talking with a client the other day. He was sharing what I thought was a really interesting perspective on money. He was talking about teaching his kids about money, and he described money like a hammer. You know, you can use a hammer to build a house. You can also use it to murder somebody, or you can just let it sit on the shelf and collect dust. But most people don't exactly view money like a tool, like a hammer, for instance. Or maybe they don't even know how to use the tool like a hammer. If you see somebody swinging a hammer, they've never done it before. It's pretty obvious they don't know how to use it. So what he was sharing is he wants to make sure that his children, that he's teaching his children to view money more like a tool and help them to learn how to use the tool. And I thought that was a fantastic concept to understand and remind ourselves of, not only for you know, our children, but really it's a good reminder for most adults. So I thought today we would talk about that a little bit, talk about using money as a tool and maybe go through what this might look like and, you know, how you can make sure you're continuing to move that direction. Okay. So before we get into using money and viewing money as a tool, what happens when you don't view money as a tool. I think that's a good starting point to think about that. One thing that can happen is you you start to, or at least the temptation is to start to view money as the end goal. It's almost like, you, you know, worship money. You know, that's the extreme, but it can become, it can easily become like the most important thing in your life. Like you're number one and it can drive everything you do, you know, along those lines one interesting story that comes to to mind. I'm sure many of you have heard this story. They even made a movie about it. There was the, and this is a true story. There was a, a rich oil tycoon and his grandson, 
was kidnapped. I think he was like a teenager, maybe like 16 years old or something. And probably because they knew his granddad had, you know, billions of dollars. And so the kidnappers, you know, ultimately wanted money to return their grandson. And they went after the granddad. And I think they were asking, I mean, it was like a, you know, million, few million dollars or something along those lines. Basically, it was an amount that the grandfather could have easily paid to, you know, release his grandson and he refused to pay the kidnappers eventually i think he made a deal with them and paid them like and this is after months made a deal with them and paid them like i think it was like the max tax deductible ransom which i didn't even know that was a tax deduction but paid them a couple million dollars through the uh, because it was the max tax deduction and then uh, the agreed upon amount was a little higher than that so he considered that a loan to his grandson which he you know made him or, you know, tried to make him pay back afterwards. So he eventually paid them some money. Grandson came out of it or was released and had a super rough time afterward. I think he ended up overdosing on drugs and having, you know, a rough stretch in between then. And so that to me comes to mind is the classic example of the, you know, person that has like become so money consumed that like, they're not even willing to give up money to like get their family member back. Now it's one thing to like negotiate. So I don't want to dig too much into the weeds of this. Like, and you know, I wasn't in that situation, so I don't know what was all going on, but like to me, there's months and months of negotiation and not budging pretty much at all. And taking that long tells me like that guy had to have put a pretty high view on his money. And so, you know, I think of it like if I was in that situation, I would like give all my money. <laughs> it's, you know, if my, I think of like my child, like if somebody kidnapped my child, I'd just like write a check. I'd be like, you can have all of it because, you know, I view it having my, the people in my life that are most important are have a much higher ranking than the balance in my accounts. And so that's an extreme example. And maybe you're thinking, well, I'm good there. Like, I don't, you know, I'm not like the oil ty tycoon. I'm probably uh, not going to, you know, I, I'm doing a good job using money as a tool. But uh, this is really kind of more of like a spectrum here. I don't think it's like most people are probably somewhere in the middle. And it's not as easy as you might think on the surface to, to see. It's one of these things that's kind of hard to self-identify sometimes to see where you are on this spectrum. Like on the other extreme would be, I found a story about a guy who basically quit using money completely. Like this guy lived, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's kind of an insane story as far as how far the other direction you can go. But like this guy lived without money for 15 years in the wilderness, lived off the land. So he basically was like, gave up money completely. He's like, I don't even want to, you know, use it at all. And this, he advocates that we can get by completely fine. He kind of pr proved it and even be happier without even having money at all in the equation. So that's definitely, you know, a bit too extreme or way too extreme probably as well. And like I said, a lot of us, it's a spectrum and a lot of us, we're going to be somewhere in the middle there. So probably a better example for like us, and I've felt this temptation is maybe we're deciding to work a little more, just a little bit more. And we're already kind of like fully committed, you know, like we have a family at home and we're already pretty busy. 
but we agree to like a little bit more, say yes to one more thing just to make a little bit more money. Um, so what is that saying? I know everybody's probably had that, felt that temptation, but what is it really saying at the end of the day? Especially for, if you have kids, it's easier to kind of think about it from their perspective because they're just innocent and they just want to spend time with you. So it's easy to justify that. Like I'm working hard to support my family. That's easy to justify. But at the end of the day, like, what are we teaching our kids? I think what that is teaching is, it's, or at minimum, we would, I would think it would be safe to agree that it's a slippery slope is that we're starting to teach them that like money is important, or maybe even money is the most important thing. Now, like I said, it's a slippery slope. I've been there. I'll confess it's easy to do. It's a constant temptation out there is like the temptation to, you know, earn more, work more, that kind of thing, have more. So it's easy to slip up on, but I think the key or the most important foundation is being aware of this. And that's mainly what I wanted to talk about today is just having, you know, a little bit of, a little bit better awareness. That's always a great starting point. And then, you know, taking some proactive steps. Because if we're not, the world's, you know, going to pull us the other direction. The world, you know, pretty much teaches us like saving money is good and spending money is bad. In other words, like money is the end goal. But, you know, is that really true? I mean, most people agree that like saving money is good and spending less is generally good. And, but that would also mean that more, that people with more money are more successful. And you could take away from that is that I got to work really hard to get you know, more money so I can become more successful and happier. But there's a big part missing there in like what the world kind of teaches us. And so when money, the problem is money itself, it's easy to kind of see money as the end goal, you know, more work, make more money equals happy life. And that's so if we're not careful, that's the way that, you know, world is going to tend to pull us. There's all these temptations out there. Um, but the problem is like the money itself has is not going to bring you happiness. Like it's everything else that's important. And in fact, like the pursuit of the money pulls you away from the everything else that's far more important. So money's not like irrelevant. I mean, I don't want to get that confused. It's just, it's a valuable tool to help you live out whatever else is most important. So we got to keep those things in order and remind ourselves like money itself does not equal happiness. Now money can be used as a tool for attaining happiness, but it's, but that's a, a very different thing. And I'm convinced that this is like the root issue for a lot of the unhappiness in our world today. So I, I think there's a really important thing. There's not enough attention put on this, like on teaching us to view money as a tool. And reminding us that money does not equal happiness. Money itself does not equal happiness. So, you know, that's important to recognize that, I think, you know, seeing money as a tool. But beyond that, like, I think, you know, the next question is like, what else can we do? So, so we'll talk about three things that you can do beyond just like recognizing money should be used as a tool. So first thing is asking yourself like a tool for what, like, what are you building? You need to know what the end goal is. And 
you need to be clear on what's most important. Otherwise, you're going to be susceptible to getting knocked off track and all the temptations that we just talked about. So having like a clear idea of your values is key. And we talked about that. I'll link to the show notes or link in the show notes. We talk about exercises for clarifying your values if you're not clear on that. But being clear on what's most important and what are you trying to build and then what are those logical steps to get there? Or, you know, if you're looking at like a house analogy, like what's the floor plan? Like what's the building plan for actually building the thing? And in finance, it's a financial plan. Like the financial plan is basically like the process of putting all this together. And we'll we'll link to it, show no, another show we've done where we cover like, you know, what a financial plan actually is. But at the end of the day, it's like building out those steps to, you know, use money as a tool to reach that ideal life that you're, you know, that everybody's going for. And then just looking at, you know, how are you tracking in your, uh, in your build or in your plan? So I think that's a good first step is thinking about like, well, what's it a tool for? What are you building? Like asking yourself those questions, making sure you're clear on your values having a written financial plan and, you know, what, how are you going to track progress along the way? The second big thing is, you know, learning to use the tool. You can't just like let it sit on the shelf and collect dust, but you also have to be careful. Like, I mean, if you don't know how to swing the hammer, it's going to cause some damage. So the question to think about is, are you using, you know, money, the tool to help you build your ideal life out, or think of it like the hammer. Are you using the hammer effectively to build a house? So learning to use the tool, what does that look like? So regularly referring to your financial plan, gaining like financial competency, educating yourself, working on the skills and behavior. We'll link to some shows on that as well. There's a lot of different ways to fine tune those skills. It's not just about the knowledge and the skills. You have to focus on the behaviors as well, which is kind of like the definition of competency. Having a good relationship with money. We also cover that in another episode. I'll link to that. And practicing, you know, money decisions that align with values. It's easy to, well, it's a little easier to clarify your values, but when you get in your day-to-day, -day, it's the problem is you kind of revert to the norm. So practicing in your day-to-day -day decision, in, in your day-to-day -day decision making, practicing you know moves that align with your values is a good way to kind of begin to use that tool effectively. And as you make these like values-based decisions, like no need to regret. Like don't you gotta watch out for like the guilt and the regret. Because if we're using it as a tool, like say you're spending money like on something you've planned for and saved up for, and you're feeling this guilt about spending money, like, don't do that. Like, that's a fantastic thing to do because you're something you value, you've taken the good, you know, the right steps, and you're basically using money as a tool to have to enjoy like time. And then just being efficient with money. I mean, that's just making money efficient money decisions that, you know, helps you more effectively use the tool. At the end of the day, it's about moving towards that ideal life and feeling like confident and on track and well-balanced along the way. That's, you know, 
when you're using the tool effectively, that's how it's going to feel. Now, over time, so the third big thing is maintaining awareness. So over time, there's all these pools and temptations along the way. And if you're not intentional about this, you're going to get pulled the wrong direction. So this is not something you can set it and forget it. It's kind of like a lifelong thing. So, and even sometimes as you start to see like success, there's the, you know, kind of an added temptation, like as you build wealth, for example, as you have more money, like there's can be this additional temptation. It's like building wealth in itself be, can become alluring. So every once in a while, it's good to just kind of remind yourself, like, am I using money effectively as a tool to live out my values and avoiding the temptation to think about, you know, having money or spending money as good or bad. It's more about like the outcome, I think is the important thing. And as you save, really you're simply just like, so if you're saving and investing, you're not actually like saving forever. You're just saving to use the money later. At the end of the day, I think the, you know, one big takeaway or a thought I'll leave you with. It, I think it's helpful to remind ourselves every once in a while, like you can't take it with you. Like money is not something it's when you get older. I think I've talked to older people that have some regrets or, you know, have some wisdom to share. And they're typically not like, Hey, I wish I had more money. A lot of times it's like, I wish I had spent more time with my family because at the end of the day, like when you get at your, in your final moments, like that doesn't matter. It's irrelevant because it's gone. I mean, it's, you can't take it with you. And so money should not be the end goal. Otherwise you're going to have a letdown at some point. The end goal should be like really leaning into like, what are you going to use this tool for and focusing in on what that looks like? Cause that's much more exciting, more rewarding, you know, less regrets, that sort of thing. Okay, so uh, make sure you're using that hammer effective or to use money like a tool is a don't beat yourself up too much on this. Like this is a lifelong thing. Like I said, I'm I feel the pools. I'm guilty of, you know, you know m making some de decisions, poor decisions along the way. But I think the bigger thing is like doing your best to kind of move the direction of what we're talking about today. As always, enjoy chatting with you. Hope, hope it's been helpful. We'll talk to you next time. Please know that anything I've said today in this podcast should not be considered advice. It is completely for educational and entertainment purposes only. It would be best to view me as just another guy talking about money on the internet. For advice, please consult your advisors. If you don't happen to have a financial advisor already, I happen to know a firm that's absolutely fantastic. It's actually the firm I started and currently run now, Ren Financial Planning. And we would love to get to know you better and see if we might be able to help. Feel free to reach out anytime to schedule an introductory meeting. You can find more info about us at www.renfinancial.com.